Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hey everyone, I'm headed to Salt Lake City this week to speak at Restore, a conference that's organized by the Faith Matters Foundation. And there are going to be a lot of amazing presenters at the conference like Terrell and Fiona Gibbons, Jody Moore, Patrick Mason, Carolyn Pearson, and others. So click on the link in our show notes and you can use a coupon code, JFF, to purchase your ticket at a 20% discount. So I hope to see you there. Well, I'm excited to welcome back to this show, Jennifer Finlayson Fife, um, a colleague, uh, Schnarchian, you know, just uh, therapist <laughs> extraordinaire that uh, is all over the place um, and, and has been, <laughs> if, you've, if you've been around Sexy Marriage Radio on the length of time, you should, she's not, she, you shouldn't be unfamiliar with, with her because mm-hmm. you've been on here several times already, Jennifer, so it's great to welcome you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, we we see things pretty similarly. Um, part of this mm-hmm. is probably because of the training and and upbringing, yeah. both in religious upbringing that's this pretty mm. dogmatic and conservative with rules and rituals um, that yes. that supersede a lot of the spirituality, even. And one of the things I really wanted to get on with you is is to dive into this whole world of obligation sex, because this is something that's been a, a thread of Sexy Marriage Radio mm. for the 10 years it's been in existence, that, that I've, I've mm-hmm. always taken the stance of obligation sex or mercy sex is bad for both, um, mm-hmm. ultimately. But I wanted, yes. I wanted to talk with you about, let's get into the nuances of it, because I think it's a blanket yeah. statement if we say it's bad and it's awful and never. But right. it's also one we can't, right. I, I can't in good faith say, oh, but it absolutely should be done, you know? So uh, I'm, I wanted to know where do you stand on this? And then let's kind of talk into the different avenues that this takes us. If when you, when you see couples that come to you and this becomes kind of a thread, what, what flags go up for you or what questions come to mind? Well, well just the idea of obligation Sex mm-hmm. is problematic, which is okay. different than saying, and we can come back to that. That's different than saying sometimes having sex when you know it's your spouse who is really wanting it right. and you're making a decision to come along or to to have sex or to accommodate what they want, right? So... That's different than how I would think of obligation sex, okay. right? Right. And so I don't mean to say that both people must be aroused equally. I, no, and, I get and, you. And that's, that's never going to happen. Right. And that's kind yeah. of the nuance. You know, that's kind of the nuance of <laughs> yeah. this thing. Because I think if a couple looks yeah. at the entirety of their sexual relationship, at least for components of marriage, there's an element of one partner, the higher desire is leading the charge, more aroused, more engaged. And the other could make the decision. That's one of the phrases you've made before in the past. Mm -hmm. It's a decision Mm -hmm. and it's a choice. So therefore it's not so much. Absolutely. I must, it's just, yeah, I'll come along with this and maybe I catch up. Maybe it's just for you, but there's nuances in there. 
Well, and very important, is it an act of self or not to step towards that? Or is there some other covert mm, issue happening between the couple that even framing it as obligatory is a signal okay. or expression of? So, you know, there's many dimensions of this, but men are often have higher testosterone, so they often feel that what they might experience as spontaneous desire more frequently than women do. Women mm -hmm. often feel psychological desire after their body becomes aroused. So that is to say for women, it is not unusual for there to be a decision to step towards right. sexual behavior. Right. And the psychological, like where their body and mind are working together happens further down the path. But I don't call that obligation sex. Okay. I mean that's that's desire based sex. Yes, you may absolutely. desire to desire to get there. Right. And I so that's why you're gonna allow yourself to touch and be touched. And I yes. and I love the mm -hmm. I love the concept of stepping towards. Right. Yeah, it's that yeah, exactly. let's go check this out and see what comes of it, not a oh well here you go and I must. Right. Okay. So and And so much of life and doing good in life is doing things ahead of feeling like it. You, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that is to say so much of parenting and yep. being fair and decent as a partner is doing the right thing. Even when a lot of your body is saying, yell at them and shame them <laughs> okay, or whatever it is. You <laughs> or, know? or kick them out of the house and it's time for you to move out already. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, this morning I was driving home and I realized my husband hadn't done something and it bothered me that he hadn't done it. And so I had in my head, like, like I wanted to come in and like, you know, be like, John, how could you not have done that? And then I was thinking that is so indecent. It's not helpful. You know, right. I, it's indulgent of me. And so I managed to not do what I felt like doing to do what was the more right thing to do. We have to do that in marriage. Now that's different than saying you need to satisfy your man's needs. I'm not talking about that idea. Right. I'm just saying that so much in marriage is about working around your sort of initial impulses or lack thereof and creating and doing what is good for the partnership, good for the family. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so let's kind of, let's land there. And I think for the sake of our conversation today, Jennifer, let's, let's keep it in the concept, stereotypically speaking of the wife being the lower desire, just to, mm -hmm. just for the mm -hmm. sake of sure. our dialogue. And just so the audience mm -hmm. SMR nation understands we're using this as a stereotype just for the sake of our yeah. argument, just because it makes it easier yeah. to talk about concepts and characteristics. Yes. Okay. That's right. And you uh, and I, for those that are interested, did a whole podcast on the woman as the higher desire partner, didn't we? Yes, we yeah. did. And we've done one on the woman as the lower yeah. desire partner. So if you go That's back right. in the okay, archives, right. they're both in there. Yeah. They're <laughs> so, both there. Yes. So <laughs> we have we have tried to address it from both. And there's nuances. I think you and I both agree. There's nuances if a woman uh, takes the status of a higher desire that's different than a man taking the status of a higher desire. Yes. A lot of it's societal, but there's also lot, some, that's right. Some internal, but for the yes, sake of conversation right. today, um, the impact of this whole concept of it's not coming of a move towards self. It's coming out of a move towards obligation, role, ritual, um, mm -hmm manipulation, earning, earning. Perfect. Uh -huh. So if we start with just the, mm -hmm. the wife on the lower desire scale, what's the impact mm -hmm. of that that you see that she needs to be aware of if she's hearing this dialogue we have today, 
and goes, whoa, this is really close to home. <laughs> how, how, how do we know what, that, that, that they're playing the role that's not moving towards self, it's moving more towards obligation? Well, or, or maybe the way I would say it is to look at if you're having sex and resenting it, okay, why are you doing mm-hmm. it? And, and I don't okay. mean to say you shouldn't be having sex. I'm just saying, why are you saying yes and resenting? Perfect. And I think of resentment as often that you're making a decision while holding someone else responsible for your decision. Okay. So you're, you're, this is not just in sex, of course, this is often in life that we are choosing things, but then holding others responsible for the fact that we chose it or that they didn't give us what we wanted for having chosen it or whatever. We have sometimes covert contracts that are a part of the choosing. But if I'm saying yes, but resentful, why? Now, there's a lot of reasons why. Mm-hmm. One might be that, um, well, I'll take the, the easiest one is you just need to grow up and take more responsibility for your choice, right? So that is to say a lot of us like to just not really claim our choices mm-hmm. and be upset that we have to make them at all, right? Like you marry. Sure. Yes. Yeah, I think there's also, because this is one of the things we've said before in the history of SMR, um, this idea of I don't want to make this choice because I want to hold someone else responsible because if it goes badly, I want to be able to blame somebody other than me. Yes. Okay. That's right. And we don't want the exposure of choosing. Okay. Choosing, deciding, desiring are exposing realities. And so our natural kind of our early developmental selves wants the cover. Mm-hmm of folding into someone else's desire or getting others to validate our desires. So to just claim and take ownership of who we are is developmentally, um, how to say, a a further step along. And a lot of us resist that step. Right. So sometimes we just have to grow up and take more responsibility. I'm a grown adult. I can say yes or no. (laughs) I don't have to go forward and have sex. I mean, a lot of times it's tricky because we want two things. We want to be partnered. We want our spouse to bring their sexuality to us and us alone. We don't want to be insecure. We want to know that we're wanted, but we don't want the exposure of sex. And so it's easy to then resent that, how to say it, uh, contradictory position. Right. I want the validation of your desire, but I don't want a desire. Right. So sometimes it's just confronting that, we're trying to negotiate the impossible. I want all of your loyalty and exposure and none of mine. <laughs> That's a, a, a sophisticated needle to try to thread, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I tried to do it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I've told this story sometimes before, but when I was dating John, I dated him for three years and he's older than me. And so he was clear that he wanted the partnership and that he was, you know, mm-hmm. he was unapologetic for wanting it. And I want, I like that, but I didn't want to desire back. I just wanted to be desired. Okay. And then I wanted to be more ambivalent and uncertain. Of course, that's cruel. I mean, I understand <laughs> why I wanted it. Right. <laughs> all the validation for me, all sure. the control for me. Sure. But, um, but it's not, it, it, it erodes 
a partnership very quickly if you don't grow out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had to choose either out or in if I was going to be fair and have any self-respect. Right, because that's Obviously because that's well. the act of fair play. It was eroding play. that too. Right, there's the that's yes, the act of fair play for both of you, not just you. Yes, right. exactly, and it was eroding my sense of self. Actually, I I felt bad about myself because I was so terrified to choose one way or the other. Uh, well, and what I was doing to avoid the choosing. So there's mm-hmm. that. Okay, the, then there's also that sometimes we, how to say it, we can choose because I'll go with the one that maybe most of us think of is I have to earn my value. He provides. Let's go with a kind of typical okay. um, kind of uh, religious, conservative religious idea is he provides, he's the man of the house. I owe him right. for that provision. I owe him for that protection. And so my job is to make his life easier sexually and otherwise. Like one okay. of the people I was talking to and working on a book right now. And she was saying, well, I understood that my job was to make him comfortable in every way I could. And that included sexually. So even though I didn't like sex, I knew that was my marital, right. That's part of the marital contract. Right. Of course, this person just had more and more and more just aversion to sex because it just felt she has no self there. Sure. It's like a way of earning, but you come to resent that quickly, you know, that you have to basically in such an intimate way, earn your value, earn your keep. But a lot of people feel like they need to do it. And and I have plenty of clients and people in my dissertation research who talked about their mothers saying to them on their wedding day or whatever, you know, make sure you never say no, right. because otherwise he'll go to right. he'll get it elsewhere. Right. The man's got needs. Don't deny them, essentially. And that that's the message so, that drives mm-hmm. me the most crazy, because oh, yeah. it, it, it treats both members of the relationship. It's, it's so degrading. It's horrible. Yes. And, and it makes men into basically untrustworthy <laughs> you know, impulsive children <laughs> that you're supposed to respect as authority right. as having some somehow more strength than you. Right. So the paradox is you're taking care of them because they can't handle themselves. Right. And, you know, a truly desirable man is doesn't feel ashamed of his sexuality, but he handles his sexuality in right. Right. decent ways, right? right? And right. so, and so that's, you know, it gives the idea that men are not that. And so not only does it kill desire because now she's got to take care of him like a child, which she's doing, the, takes care of the kids during the day, takes care of the big kid at night, you know, yep. that kills desire. But also um, just the fundamental idea that men cannot handle themselves is yeah. also so degrading yeah. for men and women. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that frame. Mm-hmm. And then there's the idea of, you know, women who will, or low desire people, who will have sex, but will withhold while they do it. So it's more of a, there's a punishment in it. Okay. So I will, you know, allow you in, but I will make sure you know that I don't desire you. So there's can be a hostility and a cruelty in it. I will not give you the satisfaction of feeling desired. So it's like a way of kind of torturing, okay, while right. being sexual. Right. And it's kind of deniable 
look, yeah. I don't have as much desire as you. Yeah, it like, can all be explained want? away. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I know how to make you feel small. And, you know, yeah. sometimes we are very loving to our partners, but we can also be very unloving <laughs> to our partners yes. if we feel, you know, a lot of people I work with have a lot of competitiveness between them and a lot of, a lot of anger. And sometimes that anger is played out in the ways that most easily in deniable form. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I think we, we, and there's reason for this, but I think we sometimes in our cultural narratives, larger culture, religious narratives kind of have the idea that men are the actors in life and they're the bad ones. Women are innocent and just, you know, between children and men, they're innocent and kind and warm and good and impotent, you know, but that makes them kind of powerless. So we kind of have this idea that men are the actors and they're also the ones capable of being evil and right. women are always good because they're so in, right. ineffectual. Right. And that's just not my experience. I think it's also obviously deeply dismissive of women. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I see men is. and women as both equally capable oh. um, and equally capable of good and equally capable of evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may enact who they are in the world in different ways, but women are just as capable of wanting um, to create goodness in the world and love and also create hostility and hurt. <laughs> we just do it in work more conniving. We're, we're better at it. More conniving. <laughs> we're better at hiding okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to just move right along there. I don't, you know, you're, I'm glad you said that one uh, because I was, I wasn't thinking the word conniving, but there is this element like you're describing of it, it paints. There's this, this prototypical um, mm -hmm. painting of men and women and mm -hmm. it, it turns into a hierarchy a lot of times. And mm -hmm. it seems like there's this element of we all are capable of immense cruelty. And it, but it's yeah. just how do we hide it? How are we blatant? Right. Because the male, the male side of it, it seems like that's part of the competitiveness. That's part of the dominating. That's yeah. part of And so it's, it's explained away that way. But right. women, women are equally capable of being as cruel. Right. It just comes that's out right. a different way. And That's right. I, I love and the men, framework. of course, can be very manipulative too. Totally. All that is true. Totally. But you know, just that kind of uh, you know, I have an adolescent daughter, and sometimes seeing how girls can do cruelty in these kind of more socially sophisticated ways, mm -hmm. and you know, so you know, I don't know. I, I just don't think it it doesn't serve women well to pretend that men are the ones that right. are. Well, able to hurt and women are not, I, I really see men and women as yeah, truly no, equal. <laughs> no gender has cornered the market on the capabilities no, on of cruelty and goodness. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about the impact on the higher desire on the husband with this, with this mm -hmm. concept. And then I want to mm -hmm. land the conversation with the idea of what do we do? What's, what's some of the best yeah. Cause hopefully just, I, I believe you operate in, in, um, uh, in coaching and counseling with with couples similarly to me that um, the the main heavy lifting that we do is helping people get a better view of what they're doing right i've yeah. just i've just kind of let's look at it through a different frame let's 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 look at it this way and then it really starts to turn into once somebody sees it 
it's not that we have the answers of here's what you should do now. Instead, it's just what does your character say you should do <laughs> based yeah. on mm-hmm. this discovery? So um, kind of giving away mm-hmm. the what you should do in some regards. But I want to talk about if we're talking about this concept of seeking more of an obligatory, resentful, I must sexual encounter mm-hmm. as the higher desire with a man. What, what's the impact on that? What's, what, what's fueling that? That I'm not sure if I quite followed your question, though. Can you can you give it to me? Sure, one more time? It's, I'm, I'm trying it, to think yeah. of it as so. A lot of times, a woman might do this because um, it's 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 a it's an obligatory. It's her role. Uh, he's doing all mm. of this, so therefore I got to take care of the big kid at home and at night. Um, mm-hmm. He's I've, he's earned it. You know, there's all these different elements rather than it's freely chosen, consciously mm-hmm. consciously mm-hmm. chosen. But I think men can come into the same kind of concept. My experience has been men, husbands come into this with a, well, I'm owed it. Um, it should be, right. I, I shouldn't hear no, I shouldn't really have to earn right. it. And so I think that kind of is a fuel of this obligation sex message of definitely you're seeking something yes, you don't necessarily even want it. in the long run. Yeah. A lot of men set up, set it up to be obligatory. As soon as you start talking about needs, you're going to get exactly what you're bargaining for, <laughs> which is, you know, if you start talking about it in terms of needs, you have basically made it impossible for it to be about desire. And so Perfect. you may get, you may get a, a wife who's willing to meet your needs, but then to complain about not being desired, well, you've set up a meaning in which it's not, doesn't even make sense. Right. Because either this is just about your gratification. Right. Or it's about an act of intimacy and desire. And you can't, and I mean, I can understand when we are not getting the validation we want, sexually or otherwise, we can do things to pressure that validation. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel unappreciated, and how can you not do this? And I do all these great things, and you still don't desire me or whatever. And then if you get your spouse to agree, well, then. You feel like okay, great. <laughs> you know, right? They're only doing it because I made it so painful to not do it. Right. That's the that's and, the that's mm-hmm. the catch twenty two that I think a lot of times people don't recognize is that I use it in the concept yes. of I want you to come with me on this trip with all of my friends, and I know you don't really want to go, but I really want you to go. And then when you come and you're miserable. And I'm mad because you're not having fun and you're mad because you mm-hmm. had to come. And it's like it's it's tearing the lowest common denominator because we fuel off yeah. of each other. And I easily can That's fall right. back on the, well, you didn't even want to come. I can hold that yeah, over yeah, your yeah. head forever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And it's a different thing to say, I really want you to come. I would really like you to be there. Right. Then you should come. I do so much for you. And, and the Fair. fact that you won't come on this trip with me, meaning – it's an act of intimacy in a sense to say, I would love for you to be there. Now, if well, the lower desire person comes on the trip, but resents her own choice using the same framing, right? right well, then that's not fair on her part. Well, but, it doesn't but if go you're deeper using than, obligation and pressure, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't it go deeper than this mm-hmm. too though, Jennifer, because I think there's this element over the course of a relationship that uh, I really want you to come is code for, no, you're coming because if you don't, I'll give you enough grief that you right. didn't. So therefore, yeah. it's, I get that's kind of that deniability yeah. statement. Well, I gave you the yeah. option to not come, but I'm going to treat yeah, you incredibly exactly. poorly if you don't. Yeah, for sure. 
For sure. If okay. that's going on in the marriage, then it is code. It is. <laughs> I it's find not, that going I just on want a you whole come. lot, actually. So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. But I'm also, you know, often trying to talk to higher desire people about a distinction between disclaiming desire, because a lot of high desire people then try to just like suppress their desires right. or mask their desires or right. not talk about anything. Because they're afraid they are pressuring. And there is a distinction between pressuring as in you're going to pay if you don't say yes. Yep. Okay. Versus, look, I'd love for you to come. Right. And it really is a true invitation. It's a true statement of self. And you're really not going to make them pay if they say, I don't want to. Right. Right. That's harder. No, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. that's that's more what your mm-hmm. statement was of that's yes. the invitation. And that's the, I will yes. take the hit if you choose as your own autonomous being to do what yes. you want to do that's not in line with me. I'll take that hit and I'll figure out how to make right. it okay and do uh, what I can to, to not myself. take it out on you. Right. Yeah, to handle myself in the face of your actual agency, your right. ability to really right. make decisions. I mean, that's the hard part of relationships, isn't it? Is that somehow <laughs> that's, that's ongoing. our spouses <laughs> don't just exist to reinforce us, even though they should. Anyway. What, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. I, I exactly. was not aware. <laughs> okay, so if if you frame, I love this idea too of of husbands or higher desires. When you frame it as need, you immediately take away the likelihood of desire. So, mm-hmm. well, yes. it, are there are there other exactly. things? Or that as come Esther to mind? Perel says, as Esther Perel says, it can be about work or play, yes. but it can't be both. If it's need, it's about you've got a job to do, girl. Right. That that's that's work. Okay. If you want to be about playfulness, it has to be about desire and choice. Now, I know it's also true that when somebody has suppressed sexuality or is afraid to see herself or himself, you know, whoever's the lower desire person as a sexual being, Mm -hmm. it can often put the higher desire person in a tough spot because they desire something that they're trying to figure out how do I handle this in a way that's fair when I have such limited control over the situation. I can only control who I am in the situation. And there's really not, you know, sometimes people are like, okay, okay, but that's still, what do I do to get her to want it? I mean, that's what they kind of come down to is like, give me the tools, right? give me the secret code. Um, and, um, and that's our next episode we're recording, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's going to be behind a paywall that one, you know, like how you get (laughs) totally behind. We could charge whatever we want, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If we indeed had that that control. Yes. If we had it, it's the bummer. We need to come up with it, but, uh, but you can't, unfortunately, I mean, well, that's the thing. The thing that's so precious about being desired truly, like not, for reinforcement, but truly this person desires you is that it's a grace. It's a gift. You can't, you don't make it happen. That is a, if it's truly freely chosen, you know, you are just in the deep benefit of someone who chooses to love you. Right. Now you can control your desirability. Yep. You can control whether or not they're desiring you is a good choice. Okay. But you can't control if someone desires you because that's an act of self and an act of strength and an act of courage. Mm-hmm. to take the risk of really letting someone matter. Mm-hmm. But so it is, it is painful to, so we, we want that most precious reality up to truly be chosen freely, but because it's so hard to handle our disappointment and our fear in that place, we often go in and ruin it. 
<laughs> by putting pressure, punishing, you know, yep. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so if we pivot this then to what, what do we do when we start to recognize this as a dynamic? Because I don't think just from what you've described and what I know of you and what the audience should know of me, if they've listened any length of time, it's not like we've got this completely figured out. The worst in us still shows mm-hmm. up and I'm punitive or vindictive mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you had the statement with John of like, how could he have, okay, but you don't, you know, that's a grown up opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like yeah. we ever arrive at, okay, now the scales are off my eyes. I see clearly I'm good. I, I'm, I'm home free mm-hmm. now. Right. But recognizing mm-hmm. it as one, but what are some other things that couples need to do that can be best next steps to make sure they shore up their side of the equation, if you will, with this dynamic? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the hard things about life to ha- is, is that adage, that AA adage, which is, I always butcher it every time, but basically the ability to control what we can control and to let go of what we can't right. and to be wise enough to know the difference. Okay. Right. Simple idea, very hard to live by because <laughs> yes. Yes. we all are so busy trying to control what we can't and we're completely <laughs> obtuse about controlling what we can. And it hurts to look at what we can control, which is who we are, because that's often mm-hmm. disillusioning and puncturing to do that. And we're so able to see the limitations of people around us. It's shifting that from the, we may well see our partner pretty clearly, but that's different than that's our job um, is to fix them, right. or correct them right. and to pull it to ourselves. So when you say like, oh gosh, I do that. I make my spouse pay for not wanting to have sex. I, you know, I don't tell my, I just tell myself I'm just hurt. Okay. I mean, we have lots of narratives. We tell ourselves, no, I'm not angry. I'm not punishing you. I'm just hurt. Okay. (laughs) Say that to me, (laughs) which is a way they tell themselves that they're just smarting over there because of the puncture rather than they're actually exuding a lot of hostility and um, cost to their lower desire spouse. Right. And so if you can actually see clearly what you're doing and what it would be like to be on the other side of you, why you might not desire you if you were your spouse, for example, or to do the lower desire position, like what it would be like to feel locked into a marriage with someone who does not want to deal with her or his sexuality, right? right? Very hard, right? very painful. And, you know, what do I want to do about who I am? Because it's in recognizing our impact that our development morally is able to happen. The next step to get to your question is once you see what you're doing, well, it's very simple, but hard Mm -hmm. is to not do it (laughs) anymore. I love that. That's, that's right up there with the two doctors. Here we are, Jennifer. My shoulder hurts when I move move it this way. Well, don't move it that way. Don't move it. Exactly. That's why you have to pay the big bucks to talk to us, you know, because we're like, well, don't do it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, but as uh, silly as it sounds, it's also true, Absolutely. which is, right, like I can't go in and and shame my husband for not having done this thing. Like that's not helpful. It's not fair. I do lots of stupid things right? and I want to be a better person than that. So I'm not going to do that. Right. Okay. Now, 
first of all, I was able to talk about the thing, but do it in a nice way. Yeah. And I mean, like not even just nice, like fair and kind, meaning like, Hey, I recognize, I just saw that this didn't happen and it was all good. Right. So you can Mm -hmm. think about if I'm not going to be, the problem was not that, that, the issue didn't need to be addressed. It it did, and it was time sensitive. The issue sure. was, could I be decent? Okay, well, that's not too much to ask. <laughs> could I be fair? Could I be <laughs> humble? Could I recognize right. that I do things like that a lot also? And right. that I don't, there's no, I'm not going to be that kind of person because I don't like that kind of person. I'm not going to be and self-righteous that's, and mean. That's coming out of the, one of the phrases I love from you is the idea of it's coming out of goodness from me and for us. Because yes, you're, you're talking exactly. about an impact of a dynamic, right? That something people do that we live in close proximity with impacts us. So it's not right. that I'm a doormat or I'm steamrolling no. it because I want it my way, which ultimately I think we do want it that way. But when we recognize, wait, a goodness in me would, would lead more towards I'm standing up for me and I'm still looking out for how and them in it. Yeah, exactly. Like I felt better about me for doing a decent thing. He feels mm-hmm. better about me. Okay. And the relationship is better. It's like, why, why would I do the other thing? All it does is give you a short self-righteous, a hit of self-righteousness for a moment. Mm-hmm. But then you have to live in all the, you know, the, all the um, negative reverberations. Right. So it's like stopping ourselves. Now, why it's hard to do that is because it feels good yes. to do self-righteous, mean, self-justifying things. Yep. It's what we know. It's habitual. Yep. And to not do it creates more anxiety up front because your mind hasn't mastered another way. And right. when our brains are in development, that stretching towards something you don't yet know is uncomfortable and somewhat aversive. Mm-hmm. And so our minds resist it. Yeah. And that's that's one of those and, things because yeah. it's that, that whole uncharted waters. It's that whole... I have exactly. no idea where this will lead. Um, you know, there's yes. just, there, there's, t- it, it freaks us out because it's like, yes. I need, give me the map, give me the steps one, two, That's three, right. four, five. When instead, I can give you step one. I don't know what That's step right. two is until you take step one. That's right. And, you know, a lot of times people are like, okay, I see what I'm doing wrong. What does right look like? And I don't mind trying to give people a picture of what right could look like, but it's not. It's more about facing what's wrong and allowing your mind to be in the uncertainty that it actually develops into a more capacious mind, a a mind more capable of doing what's good and fair. I was reading Robert Keegan recently. He's a developmental psychologist who talks about ego development. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about some research of even looking at kids that are in the pre-operational stage, moving into the operational stage, right? So this is, or concrete operations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was saying they would give a question that could only be answered in the concrete operation stage to pre-operational kids. The kids that were pre-operational would, would just answer from a from a pre-operational stance that made no sense. Right, okay? right. I, it, the, the kids that were in between, though, You'd ask the question and he was saying that they would get noticeably upset, okay, because oh, their yeah. brain couldn't quite put it together and they knew the the other was the wrong answer. Right. Right. It didn't. And so they, 
were in that uncertainty of their minds trying to get their head around a more sophisticated way of thinking. That's fascinating. And yes. And I'm, and so, and I'm curious, as, just, I'm curious, just, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Um, Cause I want to sure. jump, I want to jump to just a, a quick detour on this. Um, I'm curious cause I'm dealing with aging parents and mm-hmm. as faculties kind of go down mentally, I've got a mom that's got, early stage dementia or at least mild Mm. dementia right now. Yeah. And COVID Mm. has really hit the seniors in my world on forgetfulness, uh, affect everything. And what I'm seeing is some of that panic when they don't know what's being talked about or an answer or, and I'm wondering if that's kind of similar of like, they're recognizing something's off, but they're in it. It creates this panic because I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I used to know and I don't. And it's kind of like almost the reverse yeah. of this. That's kind of the reverse. And it may be a little different. Um, my father also had dementia before he died. And he was at, at least at times self-aware enough to know that he could okay. not do what he used to be able to do. And it was right. quite painful for him and, yeah. and frightening. To feel yeah. the increasing dependency, to feel the kind of loss of self, literally, yeah. as his body was becoming less able to support the yeah. mind he had known. So that's a little different because it's more about recognizing a deterioration or gotcha. um, okay. a loss of self. The, the t- part I'm talking about is more when your brain is trying to wire up at a higher level. Okay. You have to tolerate this comfort for growth to, to be able to to phrase. be able to get that. Yes. Yeah, like learning anything, you have to be subjected to your incompetency to build competency. And that is an uncomfortable process. But one of the best things you can do is not do the old thing. Like my daughter's a musician, <laughs> right. I sometimes use her as a as a as a example of this, which is like, no, you need to change your hand position. And, and then it messes everything up. Everything she could do from the more limited hand position. Now she can't do from the new position, the way she rebuilds competency at a higher level of skill is to not go back to the old hand position because then she's keeping in place the old system. Right. And that's what our minds like to do when we dismiss disconfirming data of our worldview. You know, many of us don't listen to the wrong news station, as in the one that doesn't confirm our worldview. Uh, We listen (laughs) to the news station that confirms our worldview. Right. Okay. Very tempting. We all like it, but it's very, makes us stupid. Okay. Because it keeps us just in this more limited frame. We can't account for as much reality. Right. The echo chamber. The more we subject. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The more we subject ourselves to the disconfirming, the uncom- more uncomfortable it is, but it also allows our brain to accommodate more truth as opposed to assimilate everything into the mind we're already in, the limited mind. Okay. That's good. That, I, I love, I want to point out that phrase. I, you always are good at turning phrases, by the way. I'll, I'll give you a commending <laughs> on that. But your, your statement of we have to be subjected to incompetency to achieve competency. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that's such a great depth of a, of a phrase on just mm-hmm. what that means. Because yeah. I think that's the beauty and the power of, of the whole theory Schnarch put together. And, you know, it's built mm-hmm. off is just that idea of uh, I'm subjecting myself to something for the betterment of yes. me and those I care about. That's right. Right. Yes. And yes. And that's so much what human beings are. That's how amazing we are is that we can literally grow and change and 
develop more capacity if we will go through the discomfort of it. Right. Well, mm-hmm. we have to do that uh, physically as kids mm-hmm. when we grow. I mean, I still vividly remember college year, freshman, laying mm-hmm. in bed at night with my legs aching because of growth pains because I didn't grow. I grew mm-hmm. six inches my freshman year. So wow, it was painful, <laughs> but I was yeah. pleased because I didn't want to be 5'5 five five any longer. Right? Sure, sure. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted yeah. to hit up over six foot. And so come yeah. on. Yeah, let's, it's about let's time. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it, but it was a way to frame it to where it meant something then. And I think that's the that's beauty right. of if we can look at just our dynamic, like this whole thing we're talking about, if you can start to see the discomfort as it's a meaningful process. Yeah, that's right. That helps a lot. Then, yes, then that changes that changes our fortitude, if you will. On, That's right. On, or that courageous people go through that disorganization, not weak people. Right. Strong people. Right. So the meaning we give to it helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right. Well, Jennifer, this has been fun. How uh, tell tell the members of the nation how they can find you and when what you're up to. Sure. Sure. So you can find me at my website, which is my last name, finlayson-fife.com. And there's lots of, I have online courses there about self-development and sexual development. And what I mean by self-development is developing, how to develop a more robust sense of self and how to develop as a sexual being. High desire people have as much anxiety about sex in my experience as low desire people, but they don't know it. (laughs) Right. Often they do. Okay. Um, and then I also have some marriage courses there as well. So a strengthening your relationship course and also enhancing sexual intimacy. But then I'm also doing um, something called Room for Two, which is a couples coaching podcast where I'm working with real couples who are bringing their marital issues often about sex and desire and working with those couples for other people to listen in. And um, I've been doing that almost a year now. So it's, it's been great. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback about it because it gives people a chance to see themselves in the other marriages because we all right. are human and doing very human things. Um, but you get to get my feedback and to see yourself, you know, not sitting on that couch and getting the direct feedback, which can often be hard. Instead, you can kind of let someone else right. be humiliated <laughs> while you <laughs> while you watch. You're like, what a loser! I can't believe he said that. And then you're like, Golly, but deep okay. down, you're like, oh, I would have said the same thing. Yeah, if I would, oh, yeah man. exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. Jennifer, it is always a pleasure to catch up with you uh, and and yeah. talk and talk through some of these things because it's uh, ultimately, I think everybody benefits. Um, yeah with, with the work that you do so i appreciate it so much thank you thanks so much thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed today's episode we ask that you please rate review and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from dr jennifer's work